Howdy folks, and welcome to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we believe that ministry is getting people to deal with how God has revealed himself to us in his word. We exist for the convinced and unconvinced, and believe that you are never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, while at the same time you are never so bad that you stand outside the reach of his grace. What this podcast is, is a collection of our large group sermons given by our campus minister, Austin McCann. We hope you enjoy the talk. Hey, Aggie RUF, this is Austin McCann, RUF campus minister. Uh, I'm going to preach the topic of friendship because this this was not recorded live on September 27th, and I've had a handful of requests uh, to record that. And so I'm, I'm going to preach that for us in my closet here tonight, and, um, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, this is a continuation uh, of our relationship series this fall. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 15, uh, verses 12 through 17. This is God's word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you promise us uh, that you are a friend to sinners, that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. So Lord, would you uh, make that clear to us in your word this evening? And would you be glorified? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, if you've been with us, uh, if you've listened to our series, normally our practice in RUF large group is we take a book of the Bible and we march through it. But this semester, this fall semester, we have been taking a look at what God has to say in his word about relationships, how we relate to God, how we relate to one another, and how we relate to this world. And our question for the semester is this, what does God and his gospel have to do with all of my really complicated relationships in my life? And what scripture holds out for us is everything. And a foundational principle for our series is understanding that our vertical relationship with God will always shape our horizontal relationships with one another. So, so I want you to think for a second how we use the word friend, okay? We, we use this word pretty broadly, don't we? Like, we use it to describe the people we love the most. We say, this is my best friend. We use it to describe people we don't really know. We say, hey, meet, meet my work friend and, or so-and-so, and then we kind of forget their name, right? Or, or it can be one of the worst words that you've ever heard. When you're talking to a girl and, and texting a lot, and right before you're about to ask her out, she sends the, the life-shattering text, right? Thanks for being a really good friend. And you're paralyzed because you have no riz and you're friend zone forever, right? Well, tonight we talk about arguably the most important horizontal relationship of all, and that's friendship. Singleness, dating, and marriage, they are coming, okay? We'll, we'll tackle these in the next couple of weeks. But what I hope you to see tonight is that friendship is not the least of all loves, but actually the bedrock of all loves. 
Meaning that you, you really can be single the rest of your life and truly th- thrive because of friendship. Your, your ability to, to be a good boyfriend and girlfriend in a dating relationship, which is really just a particular kind of friendship, or even to be a good husband or wife in marriage, is based on your ability to be a good friend. See, the Bible has a lot to say about these relationships. And what we know is that a relationship like singleness and marriage is optional. But friendship is not. Um, John Capascio, he's the director of the Center of um, Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. In his book, Loneliness, actually found higher levels of epinephrine, the stress hormone, in the morning of of the urine of lonely people. And he found that loneliness burrows deep, so deep that he said this, that when we drew blood from our older adults and analyzed their white cells, he writes, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way that genes were being expressed. That loneliness not only affects your brain, but even the basic process of DNA transcription. That when you're lonely, your whole body is lonely. So, so what if friendship isn't simply important for our lives or, or just to function as a bonus in our life? What if, it, what if it is vital for us to be human, to be image bearers in this world? And what if friendship is one of the primary means God grows his people? You see, there's a lot of things that could be said about friendship tonight in, in, in this closet, okay? But, and why we can't it say, why I can't, say everything about it tonight, I I at least want to say something, okay? And I want to take a look tonight at just these three indispensable characteristics of friendship, okay? What the Bible says about what it means to be a friend. So a friend is characterized at minimum by these three things. Self-denying love, a chosen adhesiveness or stickiness, and lastly, a common horizon. So self-denying love, a chosen adhesiveness, and a common horizon. So first, the, the first indispensable characteristic of friendship is self-denying love. Right in the, in the passage that I read for us, Jesus just finished with one of his I am statements. Because seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a claim to be God by using the phrase, I am. And he just said to his disciples that he is the true vine. In other words, he grows his people, he nourishes them, And to grow, they must abide in him, meaning they must rest in him and commune in him, trust him, and yes, obey him. Actually, Jesus says the evidence that you are in Christ is that you obey him. And we talked about this two weeks ago, but remember, just as God's law, his commands were given to Israel after they were rescued and saved from Egypt, we obey God's law as a response to redemption, not a cause of it. You see, we obey the commandments, therefore, not in order to merit God's favor, but because we already have experienced his favor. So the outcome outcome of becoming a Christian is that you see God's commands not as something you have to do, but as something that you get to do. And in this passage that Jesus gives us, his disciples, he, he gives his disciples a clear command to obey in verse 12. And this is not a new command, but but a very old command. He says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Isn't it interesting that that Jesus gives this command to 
uh, to his followers, right? You would think that Jesus would say, you know, be faithful to me and, and only me or stop doing bad things and start doing good things or, or learn more theology, right? None of these, those things are wrong. And, and Jesus actually does address all those things at, at one point or another. But Jesus does say here that the evidence that you are my people is that you love one another. And when something is repeated in the Bible, that means it is important. And Jesus doesn't say this just once, but, but he says it twice here in verse 12 and at the very end of our passage in verse 17. Right? Think of, a, of an engagement ring for a second. Right? If this commandment to love one another is the setting of an engagement ring, then friendship is the jewel that belongs in its encasement. Because I really do find this fascinating that, that Jesus, when looking for a word to describe the greatest, most powerful love in the world, uses friend. Not marriage, not siblings, not parents, but friend. Listen to the qualifier that Jesus gives here. Love one another as I have loved you. And he follows with that with this statement, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, Jesus is saying, you want to know how I'm your friend? It's that I denied myself. It's that I gave up the glories of heaven to, to come to be with you. It's that I was willing to be persecuted, embarrassed, and to associate myself with you. It's that I was willing to give up my life for you so that I could call you my friend. As John put it in his first letter, this is how we know what, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us in 1 John three sixteen. You see, Jesus was a better friend to us than we will ever be to him. And, and if you're in Christ, Jesus doesn't just tolerate you this evening. He doesn't only love you. He actually likes you. Parent, did your parents ever tell you this growing up, right? You, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. That, that's not the, the case with Jesus and us. He, he isn't obligated to be near you. He doesn't view your presence as an inconvenience or annoying. But like an older, like an older brother who's forced by his parents to take his younger bro brother along with him, instead, Jesus rejoices and delights being with you. He looks forward to, to your company, according to the Bible. He looks forward to knowing you and for you to know him. He calls you friend, and the evidence for this is that he's laid his life down for you. You see, Jesus is saying, because I have done that for you, if you are truly my friend, then you will delight in doing the same for one another. This is how the world will know that, that you belong to me, he says. One author said this, that our friendship makes the reality of the gospel unignorable to the outside world. And right, I would go off a limb to say that if you are here tonight, if you, if you come to RUF, and you're not a Christian, you, you may struggle with some of the truth claims of the Bible, but, but the reason that you come to RUF, you're a part of this community, is because you recognize the real love that friendships in Christianity have to offer. And what you're witnessing is something you want or you recognize is different from the world. It's one of the chief characteristics of friendship, which is self-denying love which means that there is a cost to yourself. Um, I heard a story from one of my friends who, who was in college and he was in the cafeteria eating breakfast. 
and it was him and a bunch of his friends and they're all at a table one morning. Uh, and, and he was kind of tired and clumsy in the morning and, and he accidentally knocked over his full bowl of lucky charms of cereal into his lap. And naturally he stood up and he pushed back his chair and he was standing there and it was a really, it was a big, uh, cafeteria. And so everybody at the table was like staring at him and even everyone in the cafeteria kind of noticed and looked over at him and he knew he was about to have to leave and take this walk of shame. But then his friend Keith stood up and grabbed his bowl of cereal and poured it all over himself and he walked out with his friend. You see, friendship, real friendship involves sacrifice. That probably won't look like absorbing embarrassment by pouring cereal on, on yourself or your friend. I don't know, maybe one day it would. But that may look like giving up valuable time in your schedule to listen to your friend who is struggling. It, it may look like dying to your needs and wants in order to serve your friend and asking for nothing in return. Self-denying love is one of the chief, one of the chief and first characteristics of friendship. A second indispensable characteristic of friendship is a chosen adhesiveness or a glueiness that bonds together. Why? Well, here comes our Proverbs, okay? I didn't read these for us, but the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about friendship, the theme of friendship. And Proverbs 17 verse 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then Proverbs chapter 18 verses 24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Right, think about the beauty of a friend contrasted with family in these two verses, right? Proverbs 17 says that a, a brother is born for adversity, meaning your sibling, if you're close to them, is through you, is is with you through the thick and thin. And a sibling can still be your friend, of course, absolutely. But you were born into that friendship. You didn't choose your siblings, they were chosen for you. But but look at Proverbs 18. Right? There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You see, the beauty of friendship is that it is freely chosen. You stick to someone because you want to, because you freely choose to. And I think we overlook this too easily because if friendships begin with a free choice, that means that you are wise to see that friendships take intentionality. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, he has this kind of well-known joke that says when when you're a kid, usually friendship just happens. You're roughly the same size and age and where you live is is like enough to be friends forever. But when you're a grown-up, you're just too tired. <laughs> and the point here is this, is that as you get older, friendships, they must be pursued. There must be an intentionality to them. And I think it's easy for us to lose sight of this because most of the... Cha I think... Some of the most challenging years of your life, in this category specifically, will be your freshman year of college and your first year after you graduate college. Right, freshman, you're probably experiencing this now, and seniors, you're you're about to experience this when you graduate, because in both of those those years, you are leaving people in places where you are known and loved, where friendships were a little bit more natural because of your setting, and you're going to discover, or you are discovering, oh, this is going to take a lot more work than I thought. And look, I think college is actually a great time to practice this and let this encourage you tonight, right? 
that the best way to make friends is to be a friend first. That instead of expecting people to invite you places and to be intentional with you, that when you reverse that and you start being intentional with others, you will be surprised and begin to discover that there are a lot more people out there who feel lonely and are isolated than we think they are. Right, this isn't going to solve all of your problems of loneliness, but this this is a great place to start. That if you are lonely, the best thing to do is to be intentional and decide to be a friend to other people. Practically, that which may look like showing up to things and being present, it may look like you being the one extending invites, getting to know people who are different than you, and asking a lot of questions about people's lives. Let this surprise you. Because friendship is a choice that requires intentionality and pursuit. And not only is friendship chosen, freely chosen, but there is a chosen stickiness or a bonding or adhesiveness. And what do I mean by that? Well, at the end of Harry Potter, okay, in the Half-Blood Prince, Harry ends up telling his two friends, Ron and Hermione, the entire story about what happened to him, all, all the horrors and the death and the sadness. And after he kind of puts his heart on display in sharing this, here's what he experiences. This is what Rowling uh, writes. A warmth spread through Harry that had nothing to do with the sunlight. A tight obstruction in his chest seemed to be dissolving. He knew that Ron and Hermione were more shocked than they were letting on. But the mere fact that they were still on, on either side of him, speaking bracing words of comfort, not shrinking from him as though he were a as though he were contaminated or dangerous, was worth more than he could ever tell them. Do you hear the bonding and stickiness? Right, Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times, sad times, joyful times, hard times, which means that true friendship is not based on convenience. A friend is committed to you even when it's not convenient or useful to them. That's why Proverbs 18 says that a person with lots of companions or companions or what we would say is acquaintances, but no friends, ends up coming to ruin. Because acquaintances don't stick. They're based on mere convenience and usefulness. You help me with a group project, or you make this party more fun, or you, you give me someone to talk to. You help me pay rent. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when a relationship gets hard and when it gets costly, usually an acquaintance is gone. But a friend sticks and continues to be there even when he's not getting anything out of it. Like, remember when you were a kid and you put a Band-Aid on? But as soon as, you, as it got wet, it, it fell off, right? Instead of a wet Band-Aid, a true friend is more like cement and concrete. That when pressure and elements and adversity is applied, the sealant actually gets stronger. Right, and let me offer two reasons why I think so many of our friendships lose this adhesiveness and commitment, okay? First is a lack of honesty, right? The, the reason so many of us fail at being a good friend is because we're unwilling to be truly honest. And, and guys, like, I, I think this is challenging for you, for us, be, because we don't want people to see weakness. We're, we're adverse to being honest with one another about what we're really struggling with. That's just, that's just hard. That's not, this isn't exclusive to guys. That's also true for girls. And, and girls, right, if, if, I, if I were to give it a shot, certainly not exclusive here, 
because I know guys struggle with this as well, but I think honesty is scary for you because you're terrified that it's going to be used as gossip ammunition, right? And don't forget Genesis 3, because our sin tendency is to hide, to cover up. We don't want to be known. There is, uh, there's this awesome scene in Parks and Rec, okay, Anne, uh, Anne, who is Leslie's best friend, she comes over to Leslie's house for the first time. And they've been friends for a very long time, and it's clear that Leslie has a, a, a terrible hoarding problem. <laughs> like, Anne walks in, and she has newspapers, like, all over the place, like, even up to the ceiling. You, you can't even get through the door hardly. She has a newspaper from 1986. And, like, jokingly, Anne looks at the camera and says, I think I need to call child services and have Leslie taken away from herself. Right, we, we need that. Because in friendship... We need trusted friends outside of us who see our blind spots and our self-destruction. You are needy and you need more help than you realize. You cannot walk the Christian life alone. There are going to be times that you have to speak the truth to your friend in love, which takes courage. And a friendship that is absent of that is no friendship at all. Let me say that again. A friendship void of speaking the truth in love is not a true friendship. This means that we should expect hard conversations. This means confronting your friend in love, even when they're not going to like it. It means asking for help. For a friendship to stick, it is going to require honesty. And second, the reason our friendships lose this adhesiveness is because of a lack of forgiveness. Right, I can't say this strongly enough, okay? Being a friend means forgiveness. Because everyone is a sinner. If you attempt a friendship, you can count on the fact that you're going to sin against your friend and they're going to sin against you. Right, let, let me read Proverbs 17, verse 9. It says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. For example, if you if you ask a friend to hang out, but they lie to you, and, and they say that they need to study, right? And then you scroll through Instagram later that night, and you see that they were actually out with other people. Like, that hurts, right? And you have a choice in that moment. You can either punish them by repeating the matter and continually reminding them of their failure by bringing it up, or with snarky comments, or giving them the cold shoulder, or being passive-aggressive, or using this as ammo to gossip to other people about him or her so that she loses respect in other people's eyes while you're elevated. That is repeating the matter, stewing and brewing over hurt by making your friend pay for what they've done. That divides. And this is one option that causes friendships to, to become more separate and more unsticky. Or you can cover the offense by seeking love and forgiving them. That doesn't mean you forget the matter necessarily. There is a place for communicating your hurt and love, which is good, and that needs to be happen. That needs to happen. But it also means absorbing the debt sometimes, right? Think about forgiveness this the same way that that we talk about money, right? If we go out to eat and you realize that you forgot your wallet, I would hopefully say, "I'll cover it. I'll pay for this. I, I got you." Right? It's treating that person like they do not owe you anything because of what they've done. And that's not easy. It definitely always costs you something. You can feel it. But that is what wisdom looks like in a friendship. 
if you want it to continue. In a friendship, at, at times you're going to have to bear with wrong done to you and not make them pay for it. So, like, to my, I would imagine that there are many damaged friendships in RUF and, and in different degrees of damage. But my question for us, Aggie RUF, is, is are we a people marked by forgiveness? Is there room for forgiveness in our relationships? Or are we a community known for our gossip and grudge holding? Why is this important? Right, we love to talk about evangelism. The, the, Texas A&M campus loves to talk about being sent out and going to reach every corner of the earth and sharing the gospel with everyone you know and going on mission trips. Yes and amen. Those are all good things. Every single one of those things has a place in God's kingdom. But are you a good friend? You want to know a great place to start, Aggies, in, in, in being evangelistic according to Jesus in John 15? It's to start by being a good friend and loving one another. Like, Are we learning to speak the truth in love and humility to each other? Can I ask a trusted friend, hey, are there any blind spots in my life that I can't see? Have you ever asked one of your good friends that? Like, would you help me? Can, can we put jealousy to death? Do we look forward to carrying one another's burdens? Can we go say, I'm sorry? Can we sit across from someone you hurt or were hurt by and begin the conversation of reconciliation? If we want our friendships to stick and last, then we need to be a people who speak the truth in love and are willing to forgive one another. Those are the ingredients that make friendships last. So the indispensable characteristics that create a godly friendship are self-denying love, a chosen stickiness that requires honesty and forgiveness, and finally, a godly friendship shares a common horizon. This is the, I promise this is shorter than, than my first two points, okay? Third characteristic of friendship is a common horizon. Tim Keller says this, that, that friendship is a deep oneness that develops as two people speaking the truth in love to each other Journey together to the same horizon. Spiritual friendship is the greatest journey of all because the horizon is so high and far, yet sure. It is nothing less than the day of Jesus Christ and what we will, what we will be like when we finally see him face to face. Like it's, it's weird to think like that, right? Like what is my goal in friendship? Right, we've touched on this a little in our series, but... But when we try to make a good relationship our ultimate relationship, it ends up crushing the other person. Remember Michael Scott from The Office? right? His mission in life is to have people like him, to have friends, even to the point that he says, I'm a friend first and a boss second. right? And, and when he, there's one episode when he's forced to fire someone. After, he, after firing them, he asks, hey, now can, can we still be friends? And what Michael Scott why, why is Michael Scott unable to have friends? It's because he's pathetically desperate for friends. He's so insecure because he is so unloved that his need for friends repels the very thing that he wants. You see, the pathway to be a, to be a good friend to others only comes from being known and being deeply loved by the one friend who will stick closer than a brother, namely Jesus himself. Look at what Jesus' goal was for his disciples. 
his friends in verses 14 through 17 in John 15. Right? He, he wants to see fruit in their lives. He wants that fruit to grow and mature. He wants them to be more like him. He wants them to be free and holy people who have a relationship with his heavenly father. Those are some of the characteristics that Jesus that was Jesus' goals for his disciples, for his friends. Right? I don't think no one captures this theme of friendship better in literature than J.R.R. Tolkien in his masterpiece, The Lord of the Rings, particularly in Samwise Gamgee's friendship with Frodo Baggins. Because Frodo, who, who has this responsibility to bear the ring of power, which has brought destruction to Middle-earth, is tasked on this seemingly perilous journey, journey to find and destroy the ring of, of power in the fires of Mount Doom. And Frodo's best friend, Sam, refuses to leave his side throughout the entire journey. And as you read the story, it, it seems that Frodo is the main character. But throughout the story, Sam arguably becomes the most important character. Because left and right, Sam is constantly defending Frodo from orcs and Gollum and ringwraiths. And he protects Frodo even from himself by speaking truth to him and constantly reminding Frodo why they are doing what they are doing. You see, the source you begin to see of Sam's bravery and love for Frodo is that Sam is always has in view the end, the horizon. He's always repeating to Frodo the promises of Gandalf or the memories of the Shire and their ultimate purpose for destroying the ring. And he never seems to lose sight of their purpose and their final goal. Does our horizon and our goals and our friendships match Jesus' goals for us? Do we care about our friends' hearts and their growth? Do we care about the direction they are going? Do you and your friends long to put pornography to death and walk with, an, walk with one another in that? Can you rejoice with your friend when something good happens to them? And can you weep with them when they are sad? Do you have the courage to speak truth to them in love? And are you willing to ask for forgiveness and also extend forgiveness? Do we care about what Jesus cares about? That our friends would become more like him. You see, the only, the only way we can do this is by fixing our eyes on Jesus himself. And he claims the title that he is the friend of sinners. Do you believe that? Can you trust Jesus with your sin? Yes, he is the friend of sinners, and you can trust him with your sorrow. Yes, the man of sorrows. Do you believe that, that his relationship to you is chosen? Yes, he freely commits himself. He wants to be your friend. He looks forward to your company. And when Jesus' friendship to you becomes a reality, it is only then that you will actually become a good friend to others. What if Aggie RUF really became a place of true friendship, a place of self-denying love, a place of chosen stickiness, a place with a common horizon, a place that sets its eyes on the friend of sinners? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we admit without your power that we are helpless in our friendships. Lord, again, we praise you for claiming the title friend of sinners. Would you teach us that your goals for us are to become more like you so that we can know your heavenly father? 
Lord, we long to become a good friend. We long to be a community that loves others well, that loves each other well, so that when the world looks on us, they see something different, that they can glorify you. Would we be a community? Would we be a campus ministry on this campus that proclaims just that, that while we were still sinners, you died for us? We thank you for being our friend. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.